Welcome to the Environmental Leadership Chronicles, a podcast brought to you by the California Association of Environmental Professionals. In this episode, I'm joined by co-host Connie Dobreva, and we feature Julie Reagan, Executive Director of the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency. We recorded this episode on site at the 2023 AEP State Conference, just a few minutes after Julie stepped off the stage from giving the keynote address. Julie is a seasoned leader in communications, government affairs, and environmental conservation, with decades of experience in both the public and private sector. In 2022, she was appointed executive director of the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency, TRPA, the first environmental interstate compact agency of its kind in the United States. TRPA is charged with protecting the breathtaking Lake Tahoe, the second deepest lake in the United States and the ancestral home of the native Washoe people. Julie has been instrumental in finding a balance between environmental preservation and sustaining a thriving $5 billion tourist-based economy at Lake Tahoe. She earned her master's degree in journalism from Temple University and is currently a PhD candidate in environmental science at the University of Nevada, Reno, where she's focusing her research around the intersection of science and public policy. She's also past co-chair of the nationally focused Network for Landscape Conservation and has contributed to the global discussion on over-tourism through her writings on destination stewardship. We had a great time speaking with Julie to learn about her experience and leadership principles. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Jessa. My pronouns are she, her. Hi, my name is Connie Dobreva, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Julie Regan, and my pronouns are she, her also. Yes, welcome to the podcast, Julie. Julie is with the Tahoe, I'm sorry, to kind of look at my notes, Tahoe Regional <laughs> Planning Agency. Thank you so much for joining us. And we're especially grateful for you joining because you just literally walked off the stage after your keynote address to the AEP State Conference to a room packed of 500 people eating lunch. Amazing. So thank you for continuing on with us. Absolutely. My pleasure. So our first question always is, how are you connected to AEP? Sure. Well, the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency is a planning agency, and I've been familiar with AEP for many, many years. So we have lots of interaction with environmental consultants in our Tahoe Basin work. And I've been to your conferences before, and we're almost both around the same age of 50 years. We're 53 <laughs> years old, and I know that AEP is turning 50. So we um, we are kindred spirits, yes. and I know you have such a fine organization. So glad to be a part of it. Yay! Yeah, of course. This, the the talk was wonderful. So for Thanks. those who missed out, they'll have to come to future conferences and ask you in person or track you down. But it was um, it, it was it was really interesting to learn about Tahoe and all the planning that goes into it. And it's such an interesting, like, and beautiful region. And the passion that you have for it, like, really came through. That was actually what my takeaway for that was, was like, wow, like, she's so involved and, like, invested in this community and the health of it. So thank you. I just really enjoyed that. Well, it's real. And I'm yeah, glad that, yeah. that it came through. Yes. Thank you very much. Yes, for sure. And so can you tell us a little bit more about your work with the agency and then if you flow into it more, how you came to a career in the environmental sure. profession and just, you know, that short 53-year backstory? You got it in, <laughs> in a minute or less, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Happy to do it. Well, I've been with the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency for 20 years, my 20th anniversary, and this is my 30th year of being in Tahoe. My husband and I eloped. We're originally from Delaware, from the East Coast, and I grew up on a farm. So my connection with the land, I mean, goes back to being a kid on a farm and walking through the woods. And, you know, my, my grandparents had an orchard, a peach orchard and a, a farm. So I 
had that connection, but I didn't really understand that as environmentalism until much later. Uh, but my connection to the land then spurred me into Lake Tahoe. Love brought me to Tahoe and fell in love with the community and with that lake. And to have a chance to spend 20 years working to protect it, you know, it's it's a dream job. And I am now the executive director uh, for the last five months. So I've just taken over the helm and I get to work with an incredibly talented group of planners, of environmental professionals, scientists, support teams, communications professionals. So it truly is a dream job to, to lead the TRPA. Congratulations Thanks. on executive director. That's amazing. And for 20 years. So when you, where did, how did you get into it at first? Did you have education in this area? Did, are you just like, I care about this. I want to start working here. Sure. Yeah. So my background is actually communication. So my undergraduate degree is in mass communications. My master's is in journalism. And I worked, my first job out of college was with the local power company on the Delmarva Peninsula, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, Delmarva Power. And we, that is really where the environmental issue really took root for me. We, as a power company, you know, we had coal-fired plants and I learned, you know, energy and how that works. And I remember asking my boss, well, how come we don't do solar? And he explained to me kilowatt hours and what they cost and what coal costs versus solar. And at the time, it was so much more expensive to see it now be competitively priced between alternative energy and coal-fired is is a dream. But it really awoke. And I was just, I had this great awakening of joy when I got into environmental issues working at the power company. And we had a program called Serving and Conserving Delmarva, where we really chronicled how the work that we did actually enhanced the environment. We had a fish hatchery plant with striped bass and had a complete program of putting the striped bass in back into the tributaries of the Chesapeake Bay. We had osprey nests on power lines to protect them um, from getting zapped by the power lines. So platforms on power poles, as opposed to them making nests in the transformers and power equipment. And we had a whole series of um, programs that we worked uh, at the at the power company. So I was really beginning my just my dabbling with environmental issues, and then uh, eloped, got married in Tahoe, went to work for the water utility, South Tahoe Public Utility District, and that's when water conservation and all things Tahoe really kicked in. And then my husband and I moved back to the East Coast and had great relationships in Tahoe, and then we got called back to take the job at TRPA. That was twenty years ago. And at the time, it was very controversial because land use and development, you know, never easy in a protected watershed that has a lot of public land and but yet so a lot of private issues to sort out. And the community uh, was not a big fan of the agency. And so my communications background really helped build a community engagement strategy for the agency to bring people together to say, we're all in this together. It's not us or them. It's not the economy or the environment. We are interconnected. And so that's the work that I set out to do. And then along the way, uh, decided I really want to get more on the science side. So I'm getting my PhD in environmental science. So that's my love of the lake, my love of Tahoe, uh, and then really my passion for positive change, which I feel like we in Tahoe have had the opportunity to to drive a lot of positive change. Because if you think back of the way things could have gone for Tahoe, I mean, we could be looking at a massively decayed lake at this mm -hmm. point. And to, to have a beautiful, stunning natural resource that, yes, is challenged and yes, is stressed. And there's a lot of 
you know, issues to be sorted out, but to be able to look out at that beautiful crystal blue water and go, Hey, we're doing something here. We are making a difference. That's what drove me then. And that's what drives me now. Wow. That's, I have, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I have so many questions. Connie, do you have anything you wouldn't ask before I start going a million directions? (laughs) Yeah. I'm curious about sort of, you talk a lot about your passion and what drives Mm -hmm. you and, and tell me a little bit about what got you to study and to get yeah. a PhD and, and right. what is it that you'd like to do with that? How do, thank you. How do those two things connect? That, thank you. That's a great question. Well, what I've found over the decades of working in communication is um, really, it came out of a frustration, right? What What is mother is the uh, the author and the necessity is the uh, mother, mother of invention. Yes. Necessity is the mother of invention. Like I was really frustrated that science, you know, it was clear what science you know, was out there, you know, it was very logical and factual, but yet people did not see it and they didn't understand the science because scientists often speak at one level and everyday language is at another level. And so I was really frustrated that people were not educated about basic things related to, you know, erosion or the impacts of roads on the water quality of the lake and really simple things. So I then started working with scientists at my job in in Tahoe and said, gosh, what I was uh, a mile wide and an inch deep on the science, and I wanted to go deeper on Mm -hmm. the science and then be able to actually have that credibility with the science community to say, how about we frame it this way so that we can have a better understanding across a lay audience? And with the science community, you know, having more confidence in working with me on that level, it's it's opened up some new doors, I think. And now science communication is a discipline at colleges across the country. That is a program that's, that's sweeping the nation because even National Geographic said we have a science communications problem. You know, we just we aren't getting the word out about basic understanding of our ecosystem, which sustains us. And people still have this idea of, well, that's kind of a nice to do. Well, no, nature is everything. That's what we depend on. So that was what fueled me. Plus, I just thought, I want my husband to call me Dr. Jules around the house. Well, <laughs> I think the same thing. It's like, soon to be Dr. Reagan. And Jules kind of sounds fun. <laughs> I love it. And that's one of the questions I had is, you're in this position as executive director for five months in a leadership position at the, you know, at the helm while getting a PhD, which I assume is fairly demanding. So I guess, how are you able to balance that workload? And so, you know, like you mentioned, you're married, so have time for relationships outside of work and the PhD program. Isn't that always the question? It, you know, I, it's hard. I mean, there's no right answer. Like it's hard. And in my experience of life, something always has to give, right? So right now, the last six, eight months, it's been about my agency and moving into this leadership role. But luckily I've been working for six plus years, seven years on my PhD. So my, I have a great committee. I have a great advisor at University of Nevada, Reno, and they understand because they know I'm a working professional. I'm a, it's called a non-traditional student. Like I'm, I have a day job. So they are being super understanding, but you know, I got to get it done. So it's really just mapping it out, scheduling it. And I have an incredibly supportive family. I have a great oh, husband and uh, we take care of his mother who lives with us and they're my team. And so if it, you know, they cook, if I'm doing a meeting until the late hours of the evening and it's just. It's just about your support system and then just trying to 
not lose sight that you need to enjoy your life. And the reason that, you know, many of us are working in Tahoe to protect it means that we need to get out and enjoy it and don't, don't sit in front of the computer 24 seven too. So just trying to keep perspective. Yes. So what do you do for fun in Tahoe? What do you like to do? All of it, all of, all of Tahoe, right. And just this winter, I mean, just snowshoeing and being out skiing and, but in the summer hiking and biking and being at the beach. And I just, I love all things Tahoe. And really the best times are just on an easy hike out the back door, two dogs, love it. Christmas Valley, the fall in Christmas Valley, the just looking out at the leaves turn gold, the aspens in Christmas Valley. It's just, it's a, it's a joy. It brings me joy. Yes. You can tell. I mean, even <laughs> talk about, it's like, oh, like, like maybe I should move to Tahoe. It's the best. <laughs> Not a bad idea. <laughs> um, I live in San Diego. So I, um, another great place that I have a, a that passion for, you know, your home, you know, you right. can feel that. And so with the agency, I guess, you know, coming back to the PhD program, are they supportive of that? Or like, how are you, are you able to, like, for example, do they help cover any education costs? Do they help with time off? I'm just wondering from like, uh, you know, kind of an employer perspective, sure, right. how that works. Yeah. Good question. You know, a, a lot of organizations have tuition reimbursement. I have financed it myself. And because I'm not a full-time student, I don't qualify for a lot of programs. I did get a couple academic scholarships to help, which is great, but I'm self-financing. And the agency though has been supportive hundred percent of just time off. You know, some classes try as I may to take them all at night. There were a couple that were in the afternoons. And so having a flexible work schedule has been amazing. Um, but we are, because I'm so committed to self-development and self-growth, we're we're really looking as an agency about a more structured tuition a tuition reimbursement program. And so we're working on that with the committee of our staff right now. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because I think it's important. I've grown so much from this experience. And I didn't really set out to do it to get another job. It was just really to grow in my own knowledge of the science underneath what I was doing. Uh, but then certainly in getting this job, it didn't hurt that I had that extra credential as a mm-hmm. doctoral candidate, not not yet, but getting there, that yeah. Dr. Jules is in my future. So I think it's important for employers in this day and age, who we, we have a really hard time retaining talent, recruiting talent. People have a lot of options. And for us, uh, you you not only have to be a good planner, you have to ha- know the Tahoe. The very nuanced program within Tahoe is complicated. So it's even harder for us to recruit folks. And we have a high cost of living mm. in the, not only in Tahoe, but just in the region. Yeah. So uh, I'm very much looking at policies that will be aimed at retention of our talent because we have an amazing talent pool. We have an amazing staff. So, uh, but yeah, but that's how I worked on it. But yeah, I've I've had to get creative with, financing this PhD. It's, it's not been cheap. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations. And, and you bring up an interesting question for me, which is as a leader, you talked about, I think retention is a beautiful point of why continuing education is so important in the, in the field. What else though, as a leader, what are some of the things you mentioned that you learned some things that maybe you were surprised about? What should leaders in our industry know of why they should support their staff and continuing education? Sure. I I just think, you know, it's the golden rule, right? We have to take care of our people first. Without our staff, we have nothing. We have nothing. And I am amazed at still the lack of mindfulness around that very simple, 
you know, the golden rule, like treat your team the way you'd want to be treated in business today. It, it really surprises me because we get focused on the bottom line. We get focused on getting that plan amendment through or whatever it might be. Uh, but your team is what gets you there. So I had uh, a one-on-one meeting with every employee. That was my goal within the first six weeks mm-hmm. of taking the job. So 70 employees and I sat down one-on-one and I spent anywhere from 30 to 45 an hour, um, you know, minutes with each, yeah. with each staff member and listening to them. Number one, like, how are you doing? What are your hopes and dreams? What could be improved? What, what's important to you? And it's not that complicated. Like at what we've started doing in our, we have a hybrid workplace. So we have some in office, some remote, but we're doing monthly potlucks at our staff meetings. Like, so each team is sponsoring a breakfast and it's recipes from their families. And they bring a little write up about how special that recipe is. And we're going to make a cookbook at the end of the year. So just very simple things, but I think just recognizing people's individual talents, contributions, and, uh, and having that social environment that really values teamwork. That's what I'm trying to put in. And also working out, uh, gosh, 10 years ago, we did one of those tough mutter events. (laughs) It was crazy hard. And we trained together as a team. There were like a dozen of us for about six, eight months. And it was one of the best things I have done in my 20 years at TRPA. So we're going to try to get together some workouts, do bring somebody in for yoga on Wednesdays. But I just think honoring all the individual contributions, getting cross-functional teams going, because what I've struggled with in any place I've worked, particularly you know in the last couple decades in this job, is that people just get in their departments and they just go. And you've got to mix people up to harness creativity that's like left on the table. Because I'm finding a lot of creativity that we can plug into other other projects that maybe, you know, person X over here doesn't know what this team is doing, but if we could mix up some cross-functional teams, we could unleash some creativity. So, and that's complicated because people have to get their work done. <laughs> we, you know, I've, I work with a company and we recently implemented a mentorship program. I named it uh peer or pollinator peers, peer pollinators, peer pollinators. Ooh, it's like so you can cross-pollinate information across departments. And so I totally hear you on time. Like there's only so much time. And so, you know, we're like the guidelines were like meet for a half an hour every mm-hmm. other week. And when you have questions about something like, you know, it could be internal to the organization or if you're working on a certain project and um, you are like, you want to learn more about a different department or a different skill set, you can cross pollinate. So pollinate. And it's been Love really it. um, helpful, I think, and for this company in a number of ways. One is, you know, the it's the cross training mm-hmm. basically of information and then also belonging, which we talked about yesterday at the EP conference and one of the DEI sessions is like there's EI and belonging. Mm-hmm. It's like not just enough to check those boxes. And so if you have kind of a buddy, like a built-in buddy, mm-hmm. um, I think that helps, especially with new hires. Absolutely. And having a structure too, because what we tried a, a buddy program for new staff a couple of years ago. And that was good, but then it kind of fades, you know? So you have to have a structure yes. of work of how that how that evolves over time. So we're we're working on it. It's it's always a work in progress. But the thing about our team, like people 
love Tahoe. They love the outdoors. So doing hikes together, doing bikes, doing an adopt a beach and cleaning up litter on the beach. So trying to do more of those things, doing a sugar pine planting, planting saplings together. Oh, fine. Belonging. Yeah. Yeah. More of that. But that's what I'm really committed to working on. And, and I mean, that's, that's the job of the leader, right? To create those spaces where people can cross pollinate. I think about too, when you asked that question, Connie, there's this, I'm sure you guys have seen it, this meme where it says, oh, what if we train our people and they leave? And it's like, well, what if we don't and they stay? <laughs> right. I can't tell you how many times I've had that conversation with other other leaders. And that is not the right way. That's the backwards way to look yeah, at it. So yeah. you you hit it right. And or sorry, go ahead. What is your mantra as a leader? What what are your core, like your core values in terms of what you want to bring and show as a leader in, in, now at the helm of your organization? Oh, thanks. That's a great question. Well, a lot of things, but I mean, overall, having a positive work environment, like having the fire in the belly to come to work, fired up, ready to go, and to enjoy doing the work that you're doing, and to have a system in place where you're measuring success. Because the other thing I'm I've been hearing from our team. We're always in that crucible. We're in that fishbowl of public opinion. People get burned out. And then sometimes it takes years and years to like get through a big project. So trying to set up a system of more measured interim targets so that people have a sense of accomplishment. But overall, I think just have a positive work environment, enjoy what we're doing, uh, do it with integrity uh, and, and give back. Like the job is taking care of Tahoe for today, but also making sure that those who come after us have the same beautiful experience that we have today. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's actually a big responsibility. I was um, one of I serve on a national board, the Network for Landscape Conservation, and one of my colleagues from the Nature Conservancy said, "Julie, this is a consequential job," and I'm like, "It is a consequential job, Bob. It is," and I I really approached it that way. Uh, but at the same time, people need to have fun. People need. You know, I love the fact that you have musicians in AEP and they yes. had a jam session. Like yes. people need to have fun, enjoy. Yeah, enjoy it. I agree. And I've been learning something recently. There's, I don't know, I went to this facilitation consultants. They do this, they do play for work and they have this diagram mm -hmm. where it's an infinity symbol and on one side structure and one side's play. And they're like in the middle is where productivity comes out. I love that. And I think it's so hard when you do have a big responsibility. And, you know, for all of us, when you're in your zone, this is, you care, like it, it can be, you know, on a national global scale, maybe not that big of a deal, but you know, if you care about your job and you're passionate, that that's the most important thing. And then you like zone out and leave and make time for play. And, you know, these team building events and planting trees and tough mutters, it's like, you can just walk away for a little bit and get to enjoy Like you said, get to enjoy yourself. Right. Like if we're doing all this work, what's the point if you don't get to enjoy it? Exactly. No, you have to. And that is, I mean, all the research is coming out that you, you have to have that balance. You know, you can't just sit in front of the screen 24 seven, like you're just not going to be productive. The brain needs all those different stimuli to make you a good person. So I, and, to, and to be more effective overall. So I, I'm about effect. I'm about working smarter. You know, I mean, I think the old school of management was like people in the office and at their desks and well, that's great. But if we could get as much work done or more and mix it up a little, we're a dog friendly office. That's one thing that's that I'm continuing that we already were. People love bringing their dogs to all the office and like, I'm going to put in a little fenced area so dogs can play in the back and then we can have little picnic tables and have some collaboration outside. So things like that. 
I think there's three dogs for every person in the, at, at Tahoe in the region, roughly. Oh, so wow. there's a lot of dogs. And what was the mantra you mentioned at lunch? Uh, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that is my epic collaboration. Yes. That's really, that's the touchstone of everything that we stand for at TRPA is, is to collaborate together. Okay. So if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go to far, if you want to go far, go together. Thank you for asking. That's a great <laughs> I love that. I missed that. Sorry. Um, I'm, so I'm glad you repeated it. Thank you. Yeah. Asked. And what advice do you have for professionals who are earlier in their career or maybe even students who haven't yet started about how they mm-hmm. can with an agency for 20 years and work their way up to executive director? Sure. Uh, Number one, be a good writer, master's in journalism. I am a stickler. I have a a mug on my desk. It's the typo jar, little mug. Quarters for typos. If it's a bad one, it's a buck. If it's a really bad one, it's a five spot. I love that. And then we, you know, we buy coffee, you know, it's not my slush fund because it's not that much money, but anyway, we, you know, buy coffee for the team or whatever, but just be a good writer, like be a good communicator. I mean, again, that's my background. I'm, I'm partial, but if you, you can have the best idea, you could have the best plan. You can have the best permit, the best amendment, the best policy. If you cannot explain it to people and, you know, put your point of view in a way that people can understand it, it's not going anywhere. Particularly if you're dealing with elected officials who are serving on 25 boards and they have a day job and they have a busy life, you might have a couple minutes to get them to understand what kind of policy you're putting before them. So be a good writer, be a good communicator, uh, and, and do the work, do the work. You know, I, I find in life in general, a lot of folks now are just saying, Hey, you know, I'm here. I want to, I want to do this tomorrow, but you've got to put in the time. There's no substitute for experience. And I am, I'm big on innovation and I'm bold on innovation with our staff, but there is no substitute for putting in the time and getting that experience built up and try different things. I really, when I hire, I look for people with diverse backgrounds that have worked in other, other areas, not necessarily all planning. Uh, because you never know where that next great idea is going to come from. It might not be from the kind of background that you think you're looking for. And be open, you know, to all kinds of, um, you know, all kinds of innovation that might come your way. Because I think we also we get stuck as leaders in doing things a certain way. So those are just a couple ideas. Yes, that's great. That's great advice. And I think about the writing, especially, is that a lot of writers I've seen who are earlier in their career, um, almost they want to show how much they know with a lot of words and jargon and technical language. And it's like, great. Or it's so great. You know, this, but you need, this needs to be digestible. The other person does not need to know all of this, all of your ideas. And so I think it's, it's a challenging skill. And I think with technology and we're actually going to have a podcast about chat, chat GPT and AI writing, we're planning a panel for that. And um, it's, I just don't see that skill set going away anytime soon, even with AI making it easier. Agreed. Agreed. And I just think we all get lazy. You know, it's really easy to text and shortcuts and it, but there's no substitute for just good, straight old, good communication. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. I often tell my back to your mantra, back to, you know, simple isms of Julie, like um, silence breeds suspicion. That's one of mine. So communicate, communicate, communicate. 
even think about it in just a friend that you haven't talked to in years and you're like, oh, what are they up to? Like, it's just human nature. Yeah. Silence breeds suspicion, communicate often. And uh, it's better to be effective than right. Because I think a lot of people who are coming out of planning schools or, you know, who are technically so well-versed uh, get really hung up in that this is right. And in the world that we work in, in public policy, you have to be effective. It's it's good to be right, yeah. but sometimes you have to pivot, you know, to get your point across in a different way. And you might have to evolve, not to say you don't have high standards, but be effective in your yeah. delivery. I think I'm, I feel like we could wrap up and let or Julie get out of here. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Shut the door, lock her in. <laughs> Having a ball, having a ball. So much fun. No, I thank you so much for every time I would think of a question, you would be answering exactly. I really loved your thoughts on leadership and how you view your role. Um, And I think it's extremely important for us to remember to have fun in life and to remember our passion. And thank you for bringing that to us today. My pleasure. Yes, my pleasure. So we'll do the wrap up rapid five. Love it. Hard hitting as a journalist. Okay, these are let's the do hard, it. Hardball questions. All right. Favorite daily habit. Fa- favorite daily. <laughs> I can't even say it. <laughs> uh, looking out at the beautiful pond, at the beautiful pine trees in Lake Tahoe. Just looking out the window, having coffee. Honestly, is my favorite thing in the morning. Looking out at my beautiful yard. It sounds peaceful. Um, three things you would take to a deserted island. Okay. Uh, I actually got this question once in a media interview and uh, it was a good looking pair of shoes because I think I'm going to get rescued and I want to look good. (laughs) I'm going to do a hand crank blender because I might find some pina coladas and something that's solar powered music so I can entertain myself until I'm rescued. (laughs) (laughs) I love the optimism. (laughs) I'm here for a good time, not a long time. (laughs) Somebody's going to rescue me. I'm, I just know it's going to happen. (laughs) We need you. Um, what is your favorite environmental policy? Obviously the Tahoe Regional Planning Compact. That's the interstate compact that set up TRPA in 1969. Yes. Um, favorite flora or fauna? So my favorite animal would be a blue heron, a gray blue heron. I grew up on the East Coast and those babies with their six foot wingspan, they always are up high and they just soar. They don't have a lot of predators. And they're beautiful and peaceful and they're a sign of a good ecosystem too. So I would say for the animal and then uh, my favorite plant, I'll just go with the flower, the, the rubrum lily, the pink, big lilies. And they just, they look beautiful. Their fragrance is amazing. And then finish this thought. Wouldn't it be cool if, wouldn't it be cool if we could keep Lake Tahoe blue forever together? Love it. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to be updated when new episodes are released and leave us a review to let us know what you think. It also really helps us to share the podcast with others who may enjoy learning about the environmental industry. If you want to submit a shout out or any feedback, please send an email or voice memo to podcast at califaep.org. The email again is podcast with an S, podcast at C-A-L-I-F-A-E-P dot org.